Hi, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. Did you know that Charlie Chaplin played the violin? Not only that, did you know that he was a composer? These are things you learn when you have a conversation with violinist Philippe Quint. Philippe's all about finding adventurous new ways to program music. In 2019, he released an album of arrangements of Charlie Chaplin's music called Smile, which included duets with Joshua Bell and a foreword by Chaplin's granddaughter. The album inspired Philippe to create a narrated multimedia show focusing on the works of Chaplin. Similarly, last year, during the centenary of Asta Piazzolla's birth, Philippe premiered a new show called Between Angels and Demons, celebrating the composer through performances of tango with dancers from Chicago's Joffrey Ballet. Philippe chatted to me about how these projects came about, the challenges of arranging works, and how multimedia can be used to channel a new way of musical communication. Here it is. Philippe, welcome to the Strad Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today from Chicago. So we're here today to talk about new ways to program music, something that you feel quite strongly about because you're presenting music in different ways, for example, with narration and multimedia, including your work with the arrangements of the compositions of Charlie Chaplin. Like I didn't even know that Charlie Chaplin wrote compositions at all, and also the works of Asta Piazzolla. So first of all, can you tell me a little bit about why you decided to get into this new way of presenting music? For me, it happened quite organically. It's not something that I was looking for. It's rather something that just happened and I went with it. A few years ago, I was looking to put together a new recording project and I was contemplating several concepts and one of them was to see if I can put together something around the music of composers that wrote for film or film composers. And I just stumbled across Smile on YouTube. As I was scrolling down to see who wrote the composition, I noticed that Charlie Chaplin was credited. And I thought, well, surely it's either a mistake or it's just the music that uh, comes from one of his films. But uh, as I did a little bit of a research uh, to see who is really the composer, I found out that sure enough, it is Charlie Chaplin that wrote the music. And I thought, well, that's certainly a good start. As I was listening to the available arrangements at the time, I thought to myself, well, not exactly something that I love. Maybe I can take a step at it myself and do an arrangement. Uh, again, uh, I've, I've had some experiences with arrangements, but this would have been probably the most uh, challenging one to start from scratch without collaborators at that time. As I was working on that arrangement, thank God for YouTube and its algorithmic function of throwing us all over the place with what they think we'd like to hear <laughs> or see. And sure enough, one of my excursions uh, into uh, different versions of Smile also threw me into a different soundtrack of Chaplin's films, which was Limelight. And I heard this glorious melody, I think played by the cello, and I thought to myself, well, that would actually sound pretty good on violin. And, you know, as, as, as violinists, we always believe everything sounds bad on violin, <laughs> right? 
and cellists are always having their repertoire still. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, now now everything, you know, we now, the world of arrangements is quite insane right now. It's just any, anything goes, you know. That's, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. my next project is to make uh, complete arrangements of uh, Beethoven's piano sonatas. I'm, I'm joking, no. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> Going to need an extra hand for that one. <laughs> I guarantee you someone is already thinking about it. So in any case, uh, as I was listening to this melody, I thought that would also be a nice uh, addition. It was a beautiful s- song called Eternally. Once again, I noticed that uh, Charlie Chaplin was credited. This is when the bulb went off. And I thought to myself, did he write more music? So a very long five-year-old story short, I uh, discovered that Chaplin wrote most of the music for his film. I discovered the fact that he was an amateur composer, amateur violinist, pianist, conductor. He had all this musical gifts that nobody knew about. At least it wasn't known to a majority of my uh, colleagues and scholars. And it, it was a big surprise and quite a bit of a Uh, discovery. And this was something that I decided to explore. I created 13 arrangements that I thought worked best for violin. It was released by the Warner uh, Classics. And when they were asking me, you know, if I was willing to go uh, on a little tour with, uh, with the project, I thought to myself, well, if this is just going to be one hour of Chaplin's music, I'm not sure how enthralling that's going to be for the audiences. Can we spice it up with something else? And then I thought, well, that I had a pretty obvious uh, concept, you know, at my fingertips, which was how did he become a composer? You know, if he was such an amateur and probably pretty busy doing his movies, writing his movies, producing, how did he get around writing the music without being able to write music on the page? And that was already, you know, the beginning of a fascinating uh, journey for me. Fortunately, there's enough uh, information, you know, from Chaplin himself, which I depicted in his uh, autobiography, which I read. I was fascinated by the incredible amount of great composers that he personally knew or those where he drew inspiration. And that includes unsuccessful collaboration with Igor Stravinsky, his uh, interactions with Arnold Schoenberg, a trip to Paris where he did not recognize that uh, Debussy was talking to him, a hilarious story with Gershwin, from whom he occasionally borrowed, uh, his uh, inspirations uh, from Tchaikovsky, Brahms, Verdi. So the list goes on. Uh, the bigger challenge for me was to filter information that would not be so relevant. You know, little by little, Uh, I started putting together this multimedia uh, program, which included videos and uh, stills from his films, all the relevant information. And my first experience, uh, actually, in New York at the presentation of the show, I decided that I was just going to uh, improvise, which, which I've done before in terms of narration, in terms of, you know, the speaking part. This time around, I found it quite... Uh, challenging because it was a much longer program and the information needed to be much more precise to uh, keep the audience captivated by the story. So after the first couple of experiments, I decided that this is something that needs to be carefully written, thought out. And from that point till today, 
I've been working on improving the show. And as, you know, I was getting more and more information about his gifts, you know, people would come up to me afterwards and they would give me, you know, some, again, new information that, you know, by the way, this song was borrowed from, you know, Nat King Cole. And, and this, you know, came from Verdi's uh, La Traviata, you know. You know, this is the things that I could not find in any available to me sources. Basically, I started reworking it. Now I have two versions of the program in its orchestral form and its uh, recital form. And that kind of paved the way to this entirely new format for me personally. You see a lot of uh, interesting movement right now, these days, in, in classical music. You know, how we're going to be presenting it in the future. There's a lot of creative minds, and we saw those incredible creations during the pandemic, you know, with the Zoom videos and, you know, the you know, virtual collaborations and, you know, you name it. So, so that was my uh, beginning with the chaplain. And then basically I just used the same concept for Piazzolla, which was a little bit easier now that I had the, the experience of chaplain. And with Piazzolla, it was also, you know, another challenge in different ways. How much creativity do you feel like you can exercise? Do you feel like this has really stretched you in terms of your versatility as a musician? Because, you know, you're not only having to prepare musically on the violin, but also, you know, you're curating a huge experience. You're absolutely right. And yes, I had to stretch myself to new levels, I guess. First of all, the biggest challenge was, I think, creating those arrangements, writing them out, uh, it's not something that I was so familiar with. Although, again, as I mentioned, I have collaborated on arrangements before and not necessarily from you know, a particular style of music. I was kind of all over the map. After I graduated from Juilliard, you know, the world kind of opened up. I felt that I finally had the artistic freedom to do something else, to do something that I personally find of value or of a challenge, of a great interest, you know. And I ended up with collaboration with folks that are in jazz and in country music and tango. And all of that, I felt, added to my understanding of classical music, of course, with classical music being the root of all music, unquestionably. But it, it was interesting, again, to see that journey and trajectory of development of world music in general, which is, again, you know, just brings me back to the journey that I created with the chaplain and then with Pizzola. You know, journey is exactly what interests me the most because of the bridges and because of the gaps in music history. They, they're still there. Some people feel, you know, they, they want to say that, you know, everything has been done, you know, and we can just do more of recycling, you know, and I never, never uh, believe that. Of course, I was very fortunate with discovering Chaplin, you know, which was a little yeah. bit uh, of a needle in the hay, but, you know, it, it was there. You can say, oh, it's all been done before, but everything can be done differently. Yeah, it can right? be done uh, differently or it just can be something completely new. We're going through a world of incredible renaissance of invention. I'm, you know, personally very fascinated with the latest technology. I'm fascinated by the crypto world. I'm fascinated by the blockchain technology. We have people traveling to Mars and uh, <laughs> you know that, and want to build houses there. I mean, think about it. I mean, is that possible that in the next couple of years, 
we're going to have our first concert with Mars Philharmonic, you know, conducted <laughs> by a Martian. Uh, I mean, is that possible? Yeah, I, I think I think it is. I mean, if it is, then you'll be the first one signing up for that voyage, won't you? <laughs> I'd rather be the second one. <laughs> no, but that's, that is very interesting what you say also about journey and how important it is, I think, to enjoy the process. And, you know, you mentioned earlier the word organic and how these things happen because you just sort of allow yourself to be swept along this river of creativity and open-mindedness. Do you hope that this will increase audience accessibility to classical music through these programs where you're offering various types of media in one place. What sort of vibe are you trying to curate in these performances? During the pandemic, I think a a lot of people were looking for silver lining. I was one of them. What is the silver lining of going through this process? What is the silver lining of not being able to perform live for audiences? And I was hoping that once we come out of it, we're going to see some revolutionary projects. And that is not to say that we don't ever want to see a cycle of Beethoven symphonies or Mahler symphonies. There's always going to be audience for that. But I wanted to also see how we can bring more audience in. There's a lot of talk about, you know, our audiences, you know, dying, you know, young people not interested, you know, classical music. You know, we, we, we hear these conversations and discussions and debates all the time. But truth be said, nothing is going to happen because the outgoing audience will be replaced by other audiences. Great music will always live. So what I'm doing is adding a new format at one of the concerts that I did recently. Actually, it was a Piazzolla program that I did in New York. A music critic that was at the concert, which happens very rarely, as you know, came up to me afterwards to thank me for the program and to ask me, don't you think music is enough and speaks for itself? Do you really need to have a conversation (laughs) or visuals around it? And the answer is sure, absolutely. Music does speak for itself as the music, but the story is around. No, music doesn't tell you the story, when exactly it was written, what the composer was going through, how did the composer arrive to this particular composition, at what point in his life. It it also doesn't give you the exact visuals of the house where the composer was working and, and so much more. I don't focus uh, on biographical data. I'm not trying to make it, you know, some tedious, educational, patronizing lecture where the folks, uh, you know, are sitting there thinking, oh, God, you know, I thought I came to the concert. Instead, I'm just getting this bunch of baloney. And (laughs) in a lot of cases, you know, most people are quite grateful to hear the stories. And in case of Chaplin, you know, it's always been, oh, my God, I did not know he composed. I had no idea that he held violin in his right hand and bow in his left. I mean, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I didn't know that Charlie Chaplin was a composer. I think I knew that he played the violin because I think that may have been featured in some of his films. But yeah, I mean, that is completely new to me. And I think really interesting that, you know, you can have music as one part of a, a more complete piece of art. A canvas. Philippe, thank you so much for telling us about your new ways to program music. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. 
That was Philippe Quint. Right now you're listening to Smile from his album of the same name. And don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news and articles on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students, and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away with no strings attached. Also, if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or a rating. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.